All right. If you want to go ahead and make your way back, open up to Romans 12. Once again, continue on our journey together into metamorphosis, transformation. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. All right. If you're there, say amen. All right. Let's read these together, starting in verse 1, Romans 12. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Father, thank You for who You are. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time of worship. And thank You for everyone here. And and now, Father, uh, in one accord, we, we affirm that Scripture is the Word of God that it is truth. And Lord, it is one of the things that You have given us. It says that we are sanctified by truth. Your Word is truth. So, so Father, help us now through the Holy Spirit to not just be hearers, not just to understand, but then to make application to our lives. We love You and uh, yield to the ministry of the Holy Spirit through Your Word. And all God's people said, Amen. Alright, continuing on metamorphosis transformation, right? This this journey that we're on into becoming more and more like who? Like Christ, right? It's progressive. There's a big term, progressive sanctification, which lasts for your whole time on this planet. It's progressive. Never ends. Once you come to faith in Christ, you have the wonderful privilege, the, the joyful opportunity to walk with Jesus. And as you get to know Him more and walk in the Spirit, you are transformed, you experience metamorphosis from the inside out, and you become more and more like Christ. And we talked last week that it's a relational, it's based on relationship, it's based on God's love, and it's not metamorphosis, okay, many of you have already understood, metamorphosis is not tacking on a bunch of to-dos and not-to-dos, it's from the inside out. It's opening your heart and your life to Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, applying God's Word, and He transforms your heart, your mind, and boom! Suddenly your behavior starts to change. Your attitudes change. Your words change. Your desires change. Right? How many of you, years ago, Sunday morning, last place you would be found was a church? Well, you're here. Who gets the glory? God, that, that's a transformed desire, right? That's a transformed desire. And we have to remember, and, and sometimes we forget what God has done. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your walk, take time periodically to celebrate where God has taken you. Sometimes in the church, it's this weird thing. You're encouraged to be in transformation. You, you're, you're exhorted. And then suddenly, instead of being a positive thing, everyone leaves a little bit bummed because all you measure yourself by is what you're not doing and how far I fall short. And boy, if only I could get my act together. 
No, 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 no. You have to celebrate where God has taken you. Amen? How many of you, you know, you were maybe teaching your kid to ride a bike, and even though they fell, you still cheered them on? Good try. Let's do it again, right? Versus, what a loser. If you'd only get your act together and do what I told you, you'd learn to ride the bike the first time. That would have gone over well. Right? What would have happened? I don't want to ride the dumb bike. Who needs the bike? Right? Right? And sometimes inadvertently we put that onto God. Instead of Him being our biggest cheerleader, we start to look at Him like the taskmaster. And we start to live under the law again. Pat? There you go again. When are you going to get your act together? This is, you know? Oh, Robert, confessing that again? Robert, I thought you came with me that month, last month. Still got that, huh? And suddenly, we're afraid of God. We're afraid of the Holy Spirit in us because now we're afraid of messing up. And we live in fear. Instead of this abundant life that Jesus came to give, we're under the law and the flesh and fear all over again. And we're going to talk about that today. This idea of fear. Because I would guess that in some way, shape, or form, fear affects everybody in this room. And it affects your relationship with the Lord. And it affects your transformation into being more and more like Jesus. Some of you maybe are feeling stuck. And if you are honest, if I'm honest, we're just scared. We're scared. And we're going to look at that today. And, and before we get that, I, I wanted to just touch base on something. Uh, in this walk of transformation, we've seen it as a journey. Last Sunday, Bill had his backpack, and it was packed with all the supplies needed, right? Bill, how long was that hike that you took with that backpack back that you took? Yeah, with that backpack you took that was here? 560 miles. So he brought a backpack. It was filled with all of his supplies, and he used that for 560-mile trek, right? Walk. And we're talking, and I brought that because we're trying to understand that God has given us everything we need for our walk. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So in a sense, in this walk of transformation, we have a spiritual backpack. And God has already packed it. How many of you as a kid or as a parent, your kid's going on a field trip or going out to lunch or to Hume Lake, and you pack their bags? Okay, I put everything you need. Right? Everything you need is in there. Right? And then as a parent, they come home from Hume Lake, and none of it got used. How come your clothes are... I only wore one pair of jeans. You what? I never took a shower. That's why my towel's dry. You what? Right? I gave you everything you need. How come you didn't use it? Right? 
God has given us everything we need. What are you doing with it? And that's been our question. And last week, we, we were reminded, it's in your notes there, He's given us the mind of Christ, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. And then we, we zoomed in in Timothy that God has given us a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift. And we, we understood last Sunday, biblically, that who has a spiritual gift? Every believer. When were you given that gift? When you accepted the Lord. So every believer has a spiritual gift. The Bible calls us to use that gift. Okay? And in fact, there it's in your notes, 1 Timothy 4.14. He tells Timothy, don't neglect your gift. And then last week we focused on 2 Timothy. Let's turn to 2 Timothy 1.6. That's to the right in your Bibles. Several books. 2 Timothy Second Timothy one six. This was our focal point last week. Paul is talking to Timothy. Paul is in a prison, kind of towards the end of his life in ministry. Timothy has been mentoring him. Timothy's about to. He's, he's entering the pastorate. Young guy. Back in these days, Young was 40 and below, okay? And, and Paul is giving him encouragement, admonition. He says, hey, don't neglect that gift. And then in 2 Timothy 1, 6, he's, uh, yeah, 2 Timothy 1, 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. We looked at that fan into flame, stir up. Right? And the word picture back in these days, they didn't keep a flame going. What they did is they would get a, a fire going, if you want to call it that, and then they would just keep the coals alive. And what he's saying, he's not correcting Timothy as if the coals went out. He said, hey, it, it was preventative. Hey, Timothy, stir that up. Fan it into flame. Bellows. Use the gift God has given you. Right? And, and many of you, I had some conversations after last Last Sunday, many of you were, 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 God spoke to you. You were actually challenged. Because we used the, we, we, we said, you know what? If God has given you a gift and He's telling you to stir it up, fan into flame, I said, well, you know, we're kind of like in the church right here, we're all like lumps of coal. Right? And He says, hey, fan that. Fan that. Stir it up. Stir it up. And we were challenged because Ephesians says that the body of Christ grows as every part does its what? Part. Every part. If you're part of the body of Christ, you have a part to play. And, and I kind of use this phrase that I've used in the past. Being a giver rather than just a getter. And a lot of us, Somewhere along the line, I'm not sure where it was, we picked up this, this idea that being a Christian means getting. I'm going to go to church so I can get a good sermon. I'm going to go to church so I can get some good music. I'm going to go to that Bible study so I can get some good teaching. When all along from day one, you're supposed to be a giver. You're supposed to be using that gift that God has given you for the edification, the building up of the body. 
And if you don't, you know, <laughs> so cute. Someone came to me and said, I don't want to just be a lump of coal. And I love that. That's so awesome. Because they understood. God has gifted them to be an active part of a body of Christ. That's why I said it's not really biblical, this, this phrase that we sort of accepted and adopted, inactive membership. I don't know what that means scripturally. I don't know how you can be an inactive member of the body of Christ. Because we're all called to be using the gifts we're given for the growth. Look at um, 1 Peter 4.10. You can add this to your notes. Turn to the right couple books. 1 Peter 4.10. Peter 4.10 Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Each one. If you're a body, part of the body of Christ, put your hand up if you're the each one. Ooh, careful. Because according to that verse, each one should do what? Use. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. It's active. It's active. Use it. Now, here's the thing. Many of us are like, I don't know what it is. How do you discover what it is? Start doing something. Start doing something. I was in youth ministry for years, and every once in a while we'd throw out a call for youth ministry leaders. Some people would come, and they would say, honestly, I don't know if this is for me. I'd say, good, let's just try it for six months. Come, get to meet the kids, see if this is a fit, see if this is for you. Sometimes it would take off. Sometimes we would have that discussion at the end of six months. Brother. God loves you, I love you, but this ain't for you. <laughs> but it was no harm, no foul, because we knew it up front. There has to be a freedom in the body of Christ to explore, to try new things. Otherwise, we sit in fear. It's okay. It's okay to try new things, to experiment. At this church, it's okay. I want to give you that freedom. You can try things. We're going to be honest with you. We're going to look for fruit. We're going to look for confirmation, affirmation of you trying to use that. And if it's so, then we're going to keep moving forward. If not, we're going to redirect you. Because our responsibility as shepherds is to give you opportunity to use your gift. See, here's what happens in the church. The few in the front get to do church and we get it down so good that the vast majority think, they don't need me because this is a well-oiled machine here. It's done. They got lights are coordinated. Screen goes up and down. You know, how does that happen? She knows, right? She switches. Richie doesn't even look at the screen and it moves, right? There's donuts that magically appear, right? I mean, this is a well-oiled machine. They don't need me here. That's the message inadvertently as churches try to do church excellently. If we're not careful, we communicate. Just come and sit because we got it. 
And then the problem is, two years later, we try to convince you to serve. We really need you. I know you've been sitting for two years. But if you could spare a few, can you bring cupcakes once a month? And it's this weird place that pastors get put in because you were given a gift on day one of your spiritual birth. I inadvertently said, sit there. And now two years later, hi, Diana. The women's ministry really needs you. And I'm here to convince you two years later that it would be good for you. It's, it's this weird thing that happens in church. Rather than affirming you, giving you opportunities, even as young new believers trying to figure out your walk with the Lord and trying, using your use of gift as a maturing process too, we just say, go sit. Don't call us, we'll call you. And isn't it weird when the pastor calls that it, it's always inconvenient? Because by then your schedules are filled. You're tapped out. And so many were encouraged in a good way last Sunday. Fan it in the flame. Step out. I need to say this also. Some of you who are already serving faithfully had a talk with me after last, and a good talk. And, they're like, and I said, no, you're, you have the gift of hospitality. You're already using it. And, and I love this. Someone said, whew, I thought I had to do more. See, here's a challenge from my perspective, just so you understand, in a group this size. There are some who will be exhorted and admonished to do something. Take the next step. There are others who are already serving faithfully and you misinterpret like, I'm not doing enough. No. Do the one thing that God calls you to do and do it well. We're happy with that. We're, just be faithful with the one area that God calls you to do. And in His big picture of Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship... That's plenty. Amen? That's plenty. And here's the crazy thing. As you do that, as you step out and use your gift and fan yourself into flame, right? Wes, do this. Right? There's Wes. We just had a little, go ahead, Wes, a little explosion. Right? What has happened, those of you who like to play with fire, when you get a little fire going? When you stoke one, what happens? It stokes the others. Right? It has, an, it has an impact. So as Wes does this, <laughs> others are encouraged by him. How many of you... Thank you, Ernie. How many of you... Tyler, six years ago, I, I encouraged slash twisted his arm to do offering. And he came up and he... Very nervous, right? But how many of you were encouraged by Tyler's efforts over five, six years to grow in, right? Right? Shiloh was asked to sing on the worship team as part of this women's event coming up. She heard today, she's talking to a friend, and they called her friend to sing also, and her friend said, oh, but when they said you were doing it, I wanted to do it. Okay. It's contagious. That's what it's supposed to be. That's life. That's life. And I just want to encourage you. Discover it. Step out in faith. Don't be afraid of failure. I don't even know what that means in church. If, it's, if you think it's this and it's not this, okay. I like what, John, remember you told us, you said you were in sales 
and you said every no was just getting you closer to the yes. Right? In sales, people are afraid of rejection, afraid of the no, and he learned, and he just flipped it. Every no in sales got him closer to the yes. Well, in the body of Christ, just, it's okay, we're moving. We're moving. If you think you can sing, we'll give you a shot. (laughs) And for the sake of the body, if you can't. (laughs) See, here's the thing. We're not going to set you up to fail here. We would never place you in a position to, to be embarrassed, to fail, to... That's not what we're about. We're about shepherding you into who God created you to be and into using your gifts and talents. You might be stretched. You might be put out of your comfort zone. Right, Wes? Wes? Right? That's not, that's not, that's not bad. It's just being stretched. It's just being fanned. That's all. Okay? That's all. And so, look in Second Timothy. Let's go back to Second Timothy. He says this. Let's read verse 6 again. 2 Timothy 1, 6. It says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline or in some versions, a sound mind. A sound mind. Now, it's really interesting there, because I was reading that. Look, it says, he says, okay, fan it into flame. First Timothy, he says, don't neglect it. But then in verse 7, his first phrase is, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. He didn't say, for God did not give us a spirit of laziness. He didn't say to Timothy, hey, God didn't give us a spirit of pride. He said, hey, Timothy and congregation and and the broader application to all of us, he says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. That word timidity is a very specific word. It's only used in its actual form in this verse. Okay? And it, 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 it means fearfulness, cowardice. Right? I put I put it in your definition there, in your notes. A shameful state of fear from lack of courage. Okay? That's, that's this word. Dalia. Okay? There's another word for fear in the Bible. Phobos. Where we get phobia. Phobos can be negative, flight, or positive, fear of God, reverence. This particular word is only the negative sense. Only negative. It means timid, Fearful, cowardice, some say frail. Okay? He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, meaning timidity, cowardice. Right? But a power, love, and a sound mind. Now, now some people look at Timothy, and based on other verses in, in the Bible, they think, well, he was, he, Timothy, there's a little phrase if you were to study, they call him timid Timothy. In in First uh, Timothy five, we know that he had some st- uh, some health issues, some stomach ailments, right? First Timothy four twelve, uh, the apostle Paul says, "Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, 
So people think that he might have been being intimidated. The fear of man. Here's a young pastor coming in to pastor older people. Right? In 1 Corinthians 16.10, Paul tells the church at Corinth, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. It might have been these big church problems, church conflict, issues of sin in the church. And Paul, knowing Timothy, says, hey, church at Corinth, when my boy Timothy shows up, make sure he has nothing to fear. So, so all of these clues kind of lend the idea that Timothy had this issue of fear. Whether it was a health issue, whether it was struggles with opposition, conflict, people looking down on him. We don't know for sure. But as I was thinking about that, I think that all of us, have struggles with fear maybe from a variety of causes as well maybe from a variety of causes some outside of your own control experiences health issues even whatever it would be you might carry with you a deep sense of timidity fearfulness and, and that's a very strong word. The word cowardice. Whew. That's powerful. That's a, that's a real strong word picture. To, to, to admit and come to the place that, you know what? I am timid. I am fearful. I, I'm experiencing cowardice. And, if, and, 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 and I understand that. I understand that even in the church. Even in the church. Use your gift. Bat into flame. Let's do this. We laugh and everything. And then I say, well, what's yours? Oh. Oh. What? I'm supposed to. You want me to what? Huh? Huh? What is it? Fear. Timidity. Right? Even in the church, we had this discussion last Sunday because two Wednesdays ago in, the, in that Bible study, I asked for a volunteer to pray and everyone was scared to pray. In the church! We were scared to pray in the church. Now, praise the Lord, when Betty admitted that, confessed that to us. And, and last Wednesday, Betty prayed out loud. She confronted the fear and she moved in faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and prayed out loud last Wednesday night. Now, don't minimize that. See, that's one of those things. In the, in the church, we tend to minimize things. Oh, Betty, yeah. That, that, woo, Betty. No, no, no. That Goliath of praying out loud and all the fear of judgment, all the fear of ridicule, all the fear of comparing myself to man confronted her last Wednesday. And she did it. She did did it. I don't minimize that. Because there was a person who was honest. She had confessed the previous Thursday to all three of us about this fear. She confessed it. Admitted it. And then she purposed in her heart to overcome it. And she stepped out and did it. I don't minimize that. I see that as an hallelujah, praise the Lord moment. But this Fear and this timidity and this cowardice has come into the church. It has. And I know that many of you listen and you desire deeply to go out and have an abundant life. You really do. 
I know you take notes, and I know God speaks to your heart through His Word, and you, you, you're, you're moved here, and you want to do something, and then you open that door, and <laughs> there's Goliath waiting right outside that door. I'm telling you right now, he's right out there. And you can't go out that door because he's there too. <laughs> right? You remember the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17? Right? We're in the Valley of Elah. You're in my office. I have some rocks from, the, from the, the, the stream that David picked the rock up and hit Goliath. Right? The Philistines line up here. Israelites line up here for 40 days. However that works for you. Forty days. Goliath comes out and talks trash to the Israelites. Hey, here I am. Send your best guy. Let's just do this mano a mano, one on one. And whoever wins, we'll just call it good for the rest of the army. Forty days. Goliath, here I am. Talks trash. And for forty days... The army of the Israelites, trained soldiers, King Saul himself. You want to go? Hey, man, he's talking trash again. Right, it's just for 40 days. They all got up, dressed for battle. Goliath talks trash. Oh, man, here we go again. Take it off. <laughs> After 40 days, they got in this habit. It was a habit they developed of cowering and giving in to fear. Fear is waiting for you right outside those doors. It might be 40 days. It might have been 40 years. And you, you come and God speaks to you and you make this great, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it this time. You leave here. Oh, man. And you shrink right back. So I, and I get that, right? I understand that. And he says here, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, right? And, and I just want to kind of give you an overview about those three elements, and then next week and the weeks before, we're going to dive into power love and a sound mind self-discipline because this is what you already have turn to the person next to you and say you already have it you already have it it's in your backpack find someone else and touch him and say it's in your backpack it's in your backpack god has not given us god did not give us that's past tense you have it you have it Power, love, and a sound mind. Right? Power, dunamis. Divine energy, dynamic energy. Turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Listen to Paul's prayer for the... The Christians in Ephesus. Listen to his prayer. What does he want them to know? Ephesians 1, starting in verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, right? You know that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart? There you go. 
I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know three things. He wants them to know three things. The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and here's number three, and his incomparably great power, dunamis, for us who believe. If that includes you, put your hands up. So the, Paul, the Apostle Paul says he wants you, who just put your hand up, to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he what? Raised him from the dead. Does the resurrection matter today? Okay, just checking. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul wants the believers in Ephesus, God wants the believers in this building to know his power, the same power he used to raise Jesus from the dead. Resides in who? Oh, you got to say that with some gusto. Come on now. I mean, uh, me. Me. It's not just divine energy. That word dunamis is dynamic. Dynamic energy. This is the energy, the strength God used to raise Jesus from the dead. The Apostle Paul says, I want the believers to know this. What in your life requires God's divine energy? No, no, no. Not what, not, I know everything, but how you live your life. Just think about your life. And I get that. Think about your life how you normally live it. What in your life causes you to cry out for God's dynamic, divine power? Or, I got it. I got it. What in your life puts you to your knees every day because you need the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? Manifested in you today. Francis Chan, in his book, Forgotten God, asks this, hypothetically. If God took the Holy Spirit away from you, what difference would it make in your life? Because the Spirit gives power, love, and a sound mind. But if God took the Holy Spirit away, would it really make a difference in how you practically live your life? Are we dependent on God's divine, dynamic energy? That's what Paul wants us to know. Right? And why do you need to know that? Because here's the lies of fear. And I put it in your, look, look, in, your, you look in your outline. Here's some of the things, you can add to it if you want. Here's some of the things that fear says regarding your power. Look at this. Fear says this. Hey, you're powerless. Fear says this. You're a prisoner of the past. Fear says this. You're a prisoner of your circumstances. Fear says, hey, you can't change. Fear says you are stuck forever. Fear says this. I love this. Hey, you know what? All this talk about transformation, that's for other people. Not you. What is the common core and all that? You're powerless. You're powerless. You're just you. You're always going to be. You're powerless. So just live in the past. Just be dominated by your circumstances. Let your emotions run crazy. Because you're powerless. That is what fear does. It renders you powerless because you believe the lie. And why do you believe the lie? Because you don't believe this. 
What does Paul say in Romans 12? Be transformed by the what? Renewing of what? Your mind. This. Going into here to here. This tells you you have not been given a spirit of cowardice, a spirit of timidity. You have been given a spirit of what? The first one? Thank you, Mark. (laughs) You have been given a spirit of what? Now say it like you mean it. You have been given a spirit of what? At some point, we got to believe it. It's in your backpack. you got to believe it. Because Goliath is out there. Raw! You can't change! Raw! You're a prisoner of the past! Raw! It's your circumstances! Raw! It's your emotions! Get back in line! Who do you think you are? Isn't that what happened when David went out? Remember David showed up at the, at the war? And his older brothers had gone. So his older brothers had been part of the timid crowd. David shows up. Hey, what's going on? And his older brother gets mad. What are you doing here? He gets all mad. Accuses David's motives. King Saul says, hey, you can't even do it. You're just a boy. Jesus own brothers and family thought he was out of his mind. Mark 3.22 or 3.21. They thought Jesus was out of his mind at one point. Whoa! And you know what the raw might be? The person sitting right next to you. You can't change. You can't change. I've been married to you for umpteen years. I know you. And then you get lit. I'm going to stretch my... I'm gonna, he said, fan the flame. I'm going to fan my flame. I want to do this like Wes. Who do you think you are? You better than me now? Oh, you got Jesus. Oh, you're, you're, you're holier than thou. Oh, you, you put your hands up like Mark. Even in the church, this weird peer pressure to not love Jesus freely. At a certain point, you've got to make a decision. Peter got out of the boat and left some of his boys in the boat. Peter left some of his boys in the boat because he heard Jesus call him to come. You might have to make choices regarding your friends. Because God is stirring you. You've got to make a decision. At a certain point, I have been given the spirit of power, dynamic, divine energy. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We just celebrated Easter. Woohoo, resurrection. Woohoo, Jesus. That same power resides where? Do this. Do this. If you're a believer, it's there. Goliath, fear, wants to squash it. You're powerless. You're powerless. Always been this way, always going to be. No, no. At a certain point, you have to say no. On the authority of Scripture, I choose this truth, this reality. You see? 
What's going on when fear comes? You adopt these false beliefs, these lies, and you live a world of false reality. Your reality is colored by falsehood. You can't. You're powerless. You'll always be. Those are all false beliefs. Along comes Jesus. I have come to give you life, life abundantly. Hey, by the way, you have the spirit of power. You have to choose to adopt that reality, that truth, and then operate in it. Operate in it. Which means when you leave here and Goliath goes, you just say, excuse me. I got things to do. I got things to do. Because God says, I have the power that raised Jesus from the dead in me. In me. Right? Do you believe that? And are you willing to act on it in those areas that terrify you? You're scared. If you, were, if you and I had a relationship where we could be real honest, you would just say, man, you know what? I'm just flat out scared. That terrifies me, man. It just terrifies me. That's the first step for some. It's getting to the place like, dude, that just scares me. I'm just scared. Because you know what God's doing? If you're at this place where you feel like, oh, I've just been this prisoner in bondage to fear and everything I try comes to no avail, you know what? You might just be where God wants you. At the end of yourself. At the end of yourself. Turn to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul is going through a very difficult time in his life. At one point in Apostle Paul's life, he was the top. He was the big dog. He had everything wired. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He could not be touched. He was the valedictorian. He was like the man. Jesus gets a hold of him. Saul becomes Paul. And suddenly he's taken on this journey of growth and transformation. But there's a lot of pain and suffering in it. And in 2 Corinthians, he shares this. 2 Corinthians 12:7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Right? We don't know for sure what that was. Some people think it was a physical ailment. Some people think it was a a spiritual issue. But the point is this. It was a time of intense struggle pain, suffering that was impacting his life in ministry. That word thorn, many of us think like a rose bush. No, that word thorn is tent stake. It's tent stake, right? And this is what, it, it is a tent stake, and it's a, an, an instrument used to torture or impale someone. That's what he's talking about. Not a little thorn that was a little annoyance. He had a tent stake in his life right now. And that word torment, some of your Bibles say buffet, right? What does that mean? It means to strike with a fist over and over till you're black and blue. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? To keep me from being conceited, God allowed this tent stake to not go away to beat me till I felt like I was black and blue. Anyone? 
anyone ever have a tent stake in your life that's not going away and you're just getting beat down? And look what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away with me. Some people believe that that's actually a Hebrew saying, which means he prayed endlessly, not just three. And he was just doing what he said in Philippians 6, right? Hey, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Right? He did that. Over and over and over was the tent stake taken away. No. No. Look what happened. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away with me, from me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, there it is, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That word rest is like pitching a tent. So that Christ's power may rest on me like a tent. Inhabit me. That's the word picture. You know what Paul learned? Many of us, when we're going through things, it's not wrong necessarily to ask God to take them away if it's your will. He pleaded three or more times at this tense state that this beatdown would stop. And God says, no. One, because we saw in verse 7, I don't want you to become arrogant and conceited. Two, I want you to learn absolute dependence on my power. You might be going through this thing with fear right now to get you to the place of simply waving a white flag and saying, Lord, you're right. I can't do this. Lord, you're right. This fear and this timidity and this cowardice is way beyond my ability. That may be where God wants you to go. Because when you get out of the way, what does God say? Good! Now I can get the power and the glory through you. Sometimes, guys, these, these beatdowns and these tense stakes, they're all designed to get you to the end of you. To where you say, I'm yours. I'm yours. This is so beyond me. This, this is so beyond me. That Goliath out the door, right here. Some of you outside this door, there is a Goliath waiting. I don't know what it is, but there is. And God may just be waiting for you to say, God, that Goliath is way beyond me. What did David say? I come against you in, in the name of the Lord. When are you, you going to give it up and rest in God's truth about who you are in Christ and what you already have? What you already have. And, and I, and I want to be very sensitive to this issue. Because sometimes pastors, we come up here and we exhort you with this fear thing. And I know that, that in, a, in a church, as weird as it is, people think, oh, the pastor, he just ranted and raved, and raved about this fear because he's got it all together. There's this weird thing that people up front here, because we teach the Bible, somehow we got it all together. 
you can ask my wife and kids. I don't have it all together. It's weird. We, 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 we somehow think that Doris has this special place where she's been excluded from all the real stuff and she just floats on clouds. And If you were here on Wednesday, Doris shared her story a little bit about what God's done in her life and people were like, whoa, really? Yeah, really. Nobody here has this together. And, and I want you to know my heart about this fear. So you, so you understand, I'm not, I'm not condemning you and I'm not railing on you. Because if there's one person in this room who understands fear, it's me. Is me. And in my life experiences, growing up down in South San Diego, there were things that happened as a young boy and all the way through my teenage years that were just overwhelmingly fear-creating, terrorizing. And all along those walls, I had to make choices. How to deal with fear of failure how to deal with fear of man, how to deal with literally trying to be drowned in a swimming pool and fighting for your life. All those things colored me. And I was raised with this, not embracing of this world like y'all in Ojai. When I came to Ojai, you want to know the crazy thing that I first noticed? None of the houses here have bars. That was weird to me. I come from a neighborhood where if you don't have bars, you're weird. So I grew up, you know, there was gangs on racial lines, and by default, whatever nationality you were, you were just that. You can hide it. So all growing up, I understand fear. I understand fear of, of, of not meeting expectations. I understand fear of abandonment. I understand fear of just straight-up verbal threats and physical threats. People come to your house threats. Not this nicey-nicey stuff. I understand the fear of walking around campus and there's just certain parts of campus you don't go to because campus is racially divided. All that stuff. And all that fear, I understand it going to appeasement and compliance and just wanting to get along and just giving up your lunch money when the big bully says, give me your money. I get all that. I get all that. And all of that culminated in a little season right before I came to know the Lord. I was driving back to UCLA. And out of the blue, I stopped at a McDonald's. I still remember Pico Avenue. Got back on the freeway. Boom! What I now know was this panic attack. Boom! And for the next hour or whatever, I was just overwhelmed. And I got to my apartment in Venice, tried to shake it off, thought it was over. Little did I know that in the weeks and months ahead, something broke. You talk about Bill having a broken mind and trying to mend, well, something broke. And it consumed me. This terror, this panic, this anxiety. So much so that my life was impacted to the degree that I thought if someone were to follow me around, they would think I was crazy. They literally would think I was crazy. Just driving to school became a nightmare. 
just trying to lock the house at night, the apartment at night, became a nightmare. By the time I would put my head down on the pillow, I was literally exhausted. Not from school, but just trying to survive another day and just trying to get enough peace to go to sleep. I was physically exhausted because fear became the dominant controlling thing in my life. And I literally thought there were times I'd be driving around and around and around and I would literally be driving going, if someone is following right now, they are going to commit me. Because this is just crazy. And in my head, I knew it was crazy. In my mind, I knew it was crazy. What are you doing? Come on, come on, come on. This is stupid. What are you doing? But I was so controlled by it, it just dominated me. Just dominated me. And I was helpless. I was just helpless. And I was just surviving. And you want to know the prison? You don't tell people this. You don't tell people this. You played sports. You were strong. You, were, you didn't get a B till you were a senior in high school. You went to UCLA. You don't admit this. So then you have the guilt and you have the shame and the embarrassment of, 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 of living this crazy life, but you're too afraid to say anything about it. So you live miserable. Because all you want to do is make it through another day because you are living in fear, timidity, and cowardice. So I understand. I really do. This happened shortly before I became a believer. Then I became a Christian. And I was still carrying this baggage forward, right? And then God started to speak to me through that verse. And I was challenged. That verse hit me right between the eyes. As a believer. I mean, it got to the point where I would watch those shows on A&E and Discovery about people overcome. And I'd be like, dude, that's me. Dude, really? I get that. That's how bad it got. And then God began to speak to me about who I am in Christ. God spoke to me about a new creation. God spoke to me about having the spirit of power. (laughs) A sound mind love long story short I just had to make a choice because the reality that I was living in all those false lies terror, anxiety that reality could not function it was miserable survival and then God God in Christ showed me this other reality and it just became pick choose what you really believe and act on it Choose and then act on it. And that's what I did 20 plus years ago. And I'm going to be real honest with you. When, you when, I, when, I, when I said, what, what in your life requires dynamic energy, right? I wasn't being facetious and I wasn't putting you down. For me, even today, every day is a miracle. Every day I wake up and I say, God, I need your dynamic energy, I need your dunamis because I know in a second I could go right back down that rabbit hole if I choose to put my mind in the wrong place. I could go there in a second. And even throughout the day, thoughts will come into my head that want to spin me there. And I told one of my kids this when we were talking about this issue. I said, sometimes even today, when a thought or thoughts come in my head and I want to go that way, I literally do this. I do this. 
I shake it off. And sometimes if they're sticking around, I go this. I go, no. I'll just say no out loud. No. And my wife was listening on the conversation. She just does this because she's heard me. Out of the blue, I'll just go, I'll go, no. That's what I have to do to appropriate what God has given me. I literally sometimes, even today, have to shake off a thought or, and say no to something that wants to drag me right down to the old self. And I have to, by faith, believe that God has given me the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's my daily life. What I'm doing here, this and this singing, are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me? This is ridiculous that I'm doing this. I loved when my family came and they saw me. He's playing the guitar. He's singing. He never did that. You see, when you appropriate what God has for you and you walk by faith in the Spirit and you fan your flame, you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't know. If you'd have told me even 20 years ago when I was a first believer, hey, one day you're going to pastor and you're going to be singing, I would have laughed in your face. No way was that me. Are you kidding? No. When you appropriate what God has for you, you believe it and you act on it, then He's free to use you and grow you the way He wants you. And you're going to end up doing things you never thought you would even do even if it's saying the offering prayer. So my heart for you is just the heart that God has taught me and the heart that I walk in every day. I do praise God. I don't have it all together. Every day is a miracle because that that terror and that, that old life, it's waiting for me right outside that door too. See, we pray, and then I'm the last one to come through the door before every service. You know what I do before I come in every service? I take a deep breath. And I have to do this by faith. I have to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's beyond me. Because the old self wants to get in my car and leave you. And, wonder, and you all be wondering, where'd he go? I don't know. I saw him driving away. <laughs> That's what I would want to do. I'd want to go home, t- lock the door, turn on the TV, and get under a blanket. That's, that's what I would want to do in the flesh. In the spirit, I take a deep breath. I say, okay, Lord, let's do this. And I move forward. So I get the spirit of fear. I really do. And I just know that I know. I know. What it is to be so dominated that you literally know you're broken. And you're out of control. I know that. So I don't condemn you. There's no finger pointing. It's just love. And as a person on the journey, I just say, hey, this this is what God's taught me. Let's do this together. Let's just do this together. Okay? We're going to take communion, but I do want to say this. Um, After Bill closes in prayer, we're going to have some people available for you. to. They're going to meet up here if you need prayer regarding the area of fear. You don't have to say what the fear is. But if you would just like someone to pray for you, we're not going to counsel you, we're not going to interrogate you. If you just would like, hey, can you pray for me in this area of fear? Someone will just pray for you that you would know God's power. Next week we'll talk about power and love and a sound mind in more detail. But if you would like to avail yourself of just being prayed for this morning in this area of fear, there will be people here, Tyler and Bill and Diana, Robert. Just say, hey, can you pray for me? And that's all we want to do, just pray for you. If God
God is saying, you know what? Before you leave and confront that Goliath, just ask someone to pray for you. Because that, for many of you, will be the first step to freedom and healing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you do know our name. Thank you that the weak can say we are strong in Christ. You have not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, self-control, a sound mind. So Lord, now as we, as we take communion, we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. And we're reminded even, Jesus, that at one point your family thought you were crazy. And yet you walked by faith and obedience to your Father's will. So give us that courage. As we remember you and what you did at the cross, also, Lord, speak to our hearts about the next step of courage, the next step requiring dunamis, dynamic power. As we walk this journey of transformation, be more and more like Christ. Amen. I just want to remind you that before we leave, Robert and Diana and I will be on this side and Tyler will be in the back by the the little cry room door if you would like some prayer over this, this issue of fear. But I believe that many of us need to prayerfully consider overcoming through the power of the Spirit. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, your word is truth. And Lord, what a powerful message this morning. That we know, God, that we can leave the fear, fear of the past, fear of failure. In all its forms and shapes, Lord, we know that we can leave that fear at your feet. And so, God, we cannot do that on our own. We need the power of the Spirit in us, God, that you have already given us. And all we need to do, Lord, is appropriate what you have already given us. I pray now, Lord, that for each of us that is dealing with the issue of fear in our lives, God, that we would just come to that place, God, and appropriate the power of the Spirit that is in us. Lord, you gave that to us for our benefit and your glory. So we thank You for that, Lord. And we close now realizing, Lord, that as we leave this place and we go out into the world that would tell us all kinds of things, God, that do not line up with Your truth and Your will for us. God, that we can give those up even in the here and the now. Help us to take the first step. Help us to take that first step. We need you. We desperately need you, Lord. And we thank you. And it is with a spirit of enthusiasm, frankly, Lord, that we can even come to you. And that's what we want to do before we leave this place, Lord, is come to you in spirit and truth. And, Lord, we will give you all the glory that you are due. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.